This episode of The Time Turner, Harry Potter In-Depth, is brought to you by the In Dice We Trust podcast. In Dice We Trust is a podcast we love, hosted by four friends taking a magical journey through the Dungeons & Dragons universe. Get ready to get Faye wild. Hello. Hello. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Ken. And we are siblings who are doing a deep analysis of Harry Potter, using our skills as a historian and attorney, respectively. This is a spoiler-heavy podcast, so only listen if you've read the books, watched the movies, or just don't care about spoilers. We won't warn you they're coming. We also use adult language, so be prepared for that. Each episode, we follow the same format. First, one of us will channel our inner Professor Bins and remind ourselves what happened in the previous set of chapters we discussed. Then we will get on our firebolts, get ready to dodge some bludgers as we ride through the plot points in the chapters we're discussing. Finally, we will stir the cauldron and sip on some tea as we do our deep dive into the big questions, hot takes, or anything else we want to discuss. We are thrilled that you're listening. We are also so thankful to the witch of our generation, Julia Christian, our star editor. If anything sounds really cool, that's Julia showing off her magic. Today, Alyssa and I are covering chapters 20 through 22 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban on the Time Turner, Harry Potter in Depth. We will look for foreshadowing, Easter eggs, themes, and talk about the big questions we have, particularly how any nuggets in these chapters tie to the endgame. First, Alyssa needs to channel our inner Professor Bims and remind ourselves what happened in chapters 17 through 19 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Harry, Ron, and Hermione find themselves chasing scabbers right into the Whomping Willow and the Shrieking Shack and run directly into Sirius Black, who sounds very murderous. Professor Lupin shows up and the reveals start pouring in. Professor Lupin is a werewolf. Sirius Black is an animagus that takes the form of a black, shaggy dog. We learn the basics of the history of the Marauders. We learn that Scabbers is actually Peter Pettigrew, and it was Pettigrew that sold the Potters out to Voldemort. Sirius Black was after Pettigrew this whole time, not Harry. Sirius Black is an innocent man. Professor Snape conveniently shows up. The kids disarm him so strongly that he is knocked out. Professor Lupin and Sirius Black are going to kill Peter, and Harry implores them not to become murderers, turn Peter into the Dementors instead. After some argument, they all come up with a plan to turn Peter in. So now, let's grab our firebolts and dodge some bludgers as we work through who scored and who fell off their broom in chapters 20 through 22 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Chapter 20. As the crew is leaving the tunnel, Sirius and Harry start talking about the future. This is a very heartwarming little bit of the book that quickly becomes not heartwarming, but we have a really nice nugget in here. Sirius explains that Harry's his godfather, of course. Harry knew this already, and he kind of tests the waters to see maybe Harry wanted to come live with him. I mean, I'm sure the Dursleys are great, don't get me wrong. To which Harry's like, 
I'm coming to live with you. I don't care where you're living. Like, I'll live in a shack, basically. It doesn't matter. He hates the Dursleys. Harry is absolutely over the moon at the idea of moving in with Sirius, even though he's known him for like a solid five seconds. And Sirius just seems delighted. There's a really nice line in here about he smiles and it takes 10 years off his face. So everything is looking like it's going to be okay, which in this world is basically the surefire sign that it will not be okay. Yeah, we should have known right then that this wasn't over. Way too happy with too many pages left in the book. <laughs> Rookie move thinking it's done here. Yeah, silly. Um, but it, it felt good while it was happening. The full moon then comes out and they quickly realize that Professor Lupin did not take his Wolfsbane potion, even though Ken reminded us to last episode. And Professor Ooh. Lupin transforms. Sirius transforms into a dog too, to try to keep Professor Lupin calm and not, you know, killing all the people. But during the commotion, Pettigrew dives for Lupin's wand. Ron falls. He's tied to Pettigrew. He has a broken leg, so he's just, you know, completely useless. Harry tries to disarm Pettigrew, but Pettigrew was too quick for him, and he transforms into his rat form, and he runs away. Lupin slash werewolf Lupin runs. Black slash black dog chases him and Harry and Hermione are very quickly trying to come up with a plan. Ron is very injured. They don't know what to do. They were about to turn around and go get help, but then Harry hears Sirius in pain. So obviously Harry just can't hear that. The plan is abandoned. They go to the lake and upon showing up at the lake, they realize there are at least a hundred Dementors circling. It's not going very well. Harry's trying to produce a Patronus. He's only thinking of Sirius. I'm going to live with Sirius. I'm going to live with serious and it is just not successful. The Dementors are coming closer to Harry. He's feeling clammy hands. He feels like he is about a second away from getting the Dementors kiss, which would be an awful first kiss for Harry. Let's just <laughs> throw that out there. First and last kiss. Yeah, first and last kiss. <laughs> awful, awful. Harry is struggling and then Harry realizes something is driving the Dementors back and he summoned all the strength he had just to look up and he saw a bright animal as bright as a unicorn and he saw someone across the lake from the book and I'm not quoting here but we know obviously what he saw at this point because we've read this book a thousand times but he saw someone that looked familiar but he didn't believe what he was seeing himself and then he fainted. Chapter 21. Harry wakes up in the hospital wing and overhears Fudge telling Snape about all of the rewards Severus will get for catching Sirius Black and saving, I say with air quotes, the kids from the murderer. Harry, upon fully waking up, tries to tell Fudge the truth. Sirius is innocent. Peter Pettigrew is the real villain here. But Fudge, aided by Snape, doesn't believe him. He thinks Harry's crazy. They, Snape's trying to convince everyone that Black might have even put a confounded charm on Harry to make him think this, even though it's not true. And you get it. Like, I get to an extent why Fudge would believe Snape over Harry. But not the point. Dumbledore arrives, and he's talked to Sirius already, and he believes Harry and Sirius. He knows the truth. However, after making everyone else leave the hospital wing, he tells Harry and Hermione that their testimony won't be enough. Dumbledore himself testified against Sirius when he was first arrested. Lupin is out in the forest, and his testimony won't do any good, both as a werewolf and as a childhood friend of Sirius, not to mention the fact that he won't be able to testify until it's too late. There's no legal way for them to save Sirius at this point. What they need, Dumbledore tells them, 
is more time. While to Harry and first-time readers, that line makes absolutely no sense. Hermione completely understands what Dumbledore is talking about. After Dumbledore walks out of the room, Hermione brings herself and Harry back in time using the dun-dun-dun time turner and explains how she's been using the time turner dun-dun-dun to go back in time to get to all of her classes all school year long. Harry and Hermione come up with a plan to save not just Sirius, but Buckbeak as well. Let's be fair here. Harry and Hermione did not come up with this plan. This was spoon-fed by Dumbledore, which I didn't save for later. I didn't write this down, but we should also make a point here. This is the clearest and most direct Dumbledore has ever told anybody what to do, with the exception of maybe when they went to the lake in the sixth book. But when I was rereading this, I was like, this is like off-brand for Dumbledore. Tell them, okay, you're gonna fly, essentially, <laughs> right? He came up with the plan. Let's right. not even give Harry and Hermione the credit. Fair enough. You're right. This is the most clear Dumbledore's ever been. On the other hand, yeah, he says Sirius is locked in this window. The only way you can get to it is fly. Go back further in time and save not just one life, but two. And then Harry's able to figure out with a small amount of deduction necessary that that means to save Buckbeak and Sirius. So sure, it's Dumbledore's plan, but at least Harry's still able to put it together. I'll give him that amount of credits. Sure. One and a half points to Gryffindor. One and a half points to Gryffindor, if that. If that, yeah. <laughs> so they sneak up to Hagrid's hut, and when they have a minute, they're able to get Buckbeak away. They're essentially they're able to steal him away. Afterwards, when Fudge and, and McNair and Dumbledore and Hagrid realize that Buckbeak isn't there, McNair swings his axe into the fence. This is the swing that Harry, Ron, and Hermione in the original timeline saw. The one that Hermione incorrectly deduced meant that Buckbeak had been executed. Way to just, you know, take one thing and assume you know everything, Hermione and get all the facts first. I'm just kidding. That's not on her. Perfectly understandable. I don't really want to make too much fun of Hermione. No, she's a badass. We like her. No, she's the greatest. Quick sidetrack. We didn't talk about it in chapter 20, but like Hermione tried to do the Patronus charm as well. She's never attempted this before in her life and there she is trying to do it. And it's like, you go girl. It's interesting because we see another reference in one of the books. I think it's book seven when they were trying to escape the ministry after that Muggleborn trial thing. We learn that Hermione's really... I mean, she mastered it in the fifth book when they were practicing, mm -hmm. but Harry says she's never really been able to get it. It's not her strong suit, which is very interesting because it doesn't seem like the kind of spell she wouldn't be able to do. But Hermione is inferior to Harry on one thing. Out of all the things in the world, what? In defense against the dark arts in general, we know Harry's supposed to be a better student than her, but you actually gave me a hot take regarding the Patronus charm. Save it. I'm saving it for the end, but I want to let you know that now we have to add it to the notes because I didn't think of this, but now I'm thinking of it. Oh, wow. I'm excited because that means I didn't read it yet. No, you have no idea what I'm going to say. We'll have a genuine <laughs> reaction. It's going to be very exciting for you. Okay, looking forward to it. All right. So back to what you guys are actually want to hear about, which is the recap. Harry and Hermione steal Buckbeak away. McNair swings. They think earlier that meant Buckbeak's dead. It doesn't. Now Harry and Hermione and Buckbeak go into the forest and watch the events play out. They watch Lupin go into the Whomping Willow to the shack. They watch Snape do the same thing. And I'll be honest with you here. There's a lot more that goes on, but it's honestly a kind of boring conversation for the most part. This is an incredible book. I think my favorite book in the series. But like you have this one section where Harry and Hermione are talking as events we read about two chapters ago are playing out again. And it's like, all right. I think the 
key here is there's a lot of conversation about not messing with time. Right. That they can't go back. They can't. Because Harry. He keeps wanting to. <laughs> usually on rereads, I'm like, he's really dumb. Because I'm like, he keeps saying, oh, no, let's go do this. Let's go do this. And Hermione has to keep being like, no, you idiot. Like, we can't do that. <laughs> We're going to literally kill ourselves. And Harry keeps asking. But upon this reread, I was thinking, well, I mean, he was literally just told that this thing about time turning existed dun 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 yeah <laughs> whatever sound effect we're adding every time we say that anyways i was thinking that he really hasn't had any time to digest what this means and the idea of going back in time it's not something that full-grown intelligent adults can really understand so like why do we think 13 year old harry after hearing it 30 seconds ago is going to understand so this round i give him a lot more leeway but you're right Nothing to report on the conversations other than that piece. No, I agree with you. And the only thing maybe worth reporting on is that Harry discusses his theory on who he thought he saw saving them from the Dementors. Harry is convinced he saw his dad conjure the Patronus and save them. He knows his dad is dead. Hermione saying this doesn't make any sense doesn't, you know, persuade him against it. He thinks he saw his dad and his dad is going to save them all. And that that's the, that's what Harry thought he saw. And that's what he's going with. Uh, however, as he he watches the scene itself play out he realizes that his dad's not there and the spot where he saw someone cast the patronus from is still mysteriously empty and then at the moment he knows that the patronus charm has to be casted he realizes it must be himself that he is the one who has to cast the patronus so harry runs forward and casts a full patronus knocking all the dementors away though i feel like that was very poorly said knocking them away that's not right whatever i like it it's like bowling it's a strike right, <laughs> right. Harry Harry bowls a uh, Dementor strike and gets to go onto the 10th frame or whatever. I don't know. I'm not bowler. And uh, Harry and Hermione now fly Buckbeak up to the window, unlock Black from his prison, and Sirius Black flies away on Buckbeak, escaping the Ministry. Awesome. So for chapter 22, we're going to put my bowling bumpers on. It's the last chapter of the book, so there's a lot to get through. Gotta love when we add some bowling analogies for the last two chapters of the book. Oh, yeah. Especially since I know like four bowling terms. And as I've stated, I do bowl with bumpers, which is embarrassing because I'm a grown woman. Yeah, it's all good. No coordination. <laughs> hey, Alyssa, it looks like the owls are coming with the Daily Prophet. Let's take a moment and talk about today's sponsors. Time Turner fans may not know this, but I've been known to roll a dice or two with my halfling alter ego, Garkus Brightleaf. Which is why both Ken and Garkus are so excited to talk about today's sponsor, In Dice We Trust. In Dice We Trust is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast hosted by four friends. Follow along as they take you through their Into the Feywild campaign, a magical journey filled with fairies, political intrigue, tough decisions, and as always, consequences. Whether you are an experienced D&D player or someone just getting into the universe, In Dice We Trust is the story of a lifetime. Follow along and be prepared to get Feywild. Harry and Hermione are rushing back so they can make it back to the hospital wing without anybody seeing them because obviously that would be bad. 
bad in the world of time travel. They make it and they tell Dumbledore they were successful. And very shortly after, the Ministry and Professor Snape realize that Sirius Black has escaped. And Snape is really, really mad. Snape is yelling at Harry. He's acting like a crazy person, which Fudge immediately points out. He is sure that Harry helped Sirius escape. Dumbledore is like, let's back up a second, be cool. They've been here the whole time, man, right? Madame Pomfrey, like- <laughs> No way they could get out. Couldn't have happened. And Madame Pomfrey is like, duh, of course, how could they have left? I've been here the whole time. Dumbledore is so cool. <laughs> He's just so cool and his, he, the poker face is unbelievable. So Mayor Fudge is just very concerned about the optics of this escape from Sirius Black. He's very concerned about the uh, Daily Prophet headlines the next day, but leaves and is sort of like, oh, well. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, hopefully he won't kill anybody else. <laughs> I mean, think about it from his perspective. This is an escaped serial killer. And He's like, well, that's going to be bad in the newspaper, which feels a little like our current government. But hey, not a political podcast. Ever the politician fudge recognizing a clear PR disaster. Our mayor fudge, which I will be referring to him from now on. Mayor fudge. Ron finally wakes up. He was out this whole time. And... Harry and Hermione have to explain to Ron what the hell just happened. Which is, you know, very typical in Harry Potter world. There's always some kind of explanation to one or the other. The next day, Hagrid sees the group and is just thrilled to tell them that Buckbeak escaped. He was not executed and he he's just so excited to tell them. But he also mentioned that Professor Snape slipped to the Slytherins that Professor Lupin is a werewolf. And so Professor Lupin had to resign. Harry immediately goes to see Professor Lupin and Harry is distraught that Professor Lupin is leaving. And I think not, he says, well, you were the best professor we had. I think we can all agree. It doesn't even qualify as a warm take that it's more than just that he was a professor. He, he was a father figure to Harry. And once again, Harry loses that in his day-to-day -day life after getting five seconds of thinking he was going to get a godfather. So this is a very traumatic couple pages for Harry. Professor Lupin very smartly transitions and distracts Harry by asking him about the Patronus. Quite a Patronus you must have, you must have been able to cast there. <laughs> and Harry explains about the Patronus and Professor Lupin confirms Prongs, James, was a stag when he transformed. Professor Lupin gives the Marauder's Map back to Harry and tells him that James would have been highly disappointed if his son had never found out about any of the secret passageways at Hogwarts. They say they're not final goodbyes. We know this isn't the end of this relationship, but it's goodbye for now. Harry is meeting with Dumbledore. And I'll just point out here that um, this has been a very absent Dumbledore book up until this moment. I, I didn't really think about that until this chapter. And I was like, where has this dude been? <laughs> Not around. We haven't really been talking about him too much. Yeah, he really doesn't make many appearances. I haven't thought about that before, but you're right. It's like Order of the Phoenix level of Dumbledore not being around. Right, but Harry thinks about Dumbledore a lot more in Order. Yes. He, this is just like conspicuously absent. We get like one note in the middle that Harry sees Dumbledore pacing around in his study on the Marauder's Map. And of course, he does like the sleeping bag thing. I mean, there's just little bits and pieces. I just think it's interesting because usually you, there's a lot of Dumbledore explanation. And this just feels very much tied at the end. There wasn't that much in 
chamber either. Maybe it's just these early books before Voldemort comes back. He's just not in it as much. Yeah, maybe. But I was thinking about that. But with chamber at least you had the memories from tom riddle so you're seeing the conversation with dumbledore and dumbledore asks harry is there anything you want to tell me i mean there's a little more harry dumbledore he he almost expels harry and ron i mean true yeah i'll fight to the death on this one Ken. no <laughs> just kidding it's not a big deal i just made the note that oh dumbledore talks to harry okay cool but he tries to make harry feel better harry is making the point but what does any of it matter? Peter Pettigrew got away. And Dumbledore has one of his iconic lines here, I think. He says, it made all the difference in the world, Harry. You helped uncover the truth. You saved an innocent man from a terrible fate. That's a great line. Harry then tells Dumbledore about Trelawney's prediction, which I think is also a very hilarious couple lines because Dumbledore has this like mild, pleasant surprise and is like, huh, this must have been. <laughs> I think that that raises her number to two actual predictions. It's time for a raise, which I think is just a great response. And obviously it's very lackadaisical. And looking back at the end of book five, when Harry admits about the prophecy and then book six, when he learns about it being Trelawney. He, I think he learns who it is in five, doesn't he? Are you sure? No way, because he immediately accosts Dumbledore about it in his office during one of the lessons. Definitely six. I thought that was because he found out Snape was the one who made it. Because he knew it was Trelawney, finds out Snape was the one. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're totally right. He right. knew it was her. He didn't know it was Snape. You're totally right. Regardless. Dumbledore mentions that he loved Harry too much and he didn't explain what happened. And looking back, he maybe could have said something here. Right. Well, actually, the one other prediction she made was about you, buddy. Maybe he could have dropped that one in. I get that Harry has a lot of other things going on in his mind, but like for someone who's so curious, who pushes all the boundaries, does he even consider her being like, what was the other one, dude? What else did she say? Harry has a very long standing history and future <laughs> for book three of just not asking good questions. He'll ask some and then he'll just take a really abrupt stop, which is, you know, good because we need books. So I guess if he was smarter, this would be a much shorter book series. <laughs> right. Dumbledore does get a little serious, though, and he does explain how Peter Pettigrew now owes Harry a life debt, and he would be surprised if Voldemort really wanted a servant that owes Harry a life debt, and the time may come when you will be very glad that you saved Pettigrew's life. Now, obviously, this is heavy foreshadowing. Dumbledore's right in some cases and wrong in some cases. He's right that Harry will like that he did that, right? Because book seven, that pays off a lot, but Voldemort doesn't really seem to have a problem with taking Pettigrew back. So 50-50, batting 500. I will say that Dumbledore also, though, does make Harry feel better because he also tells Harry that he knew James Potter very well and James would not have wanted Pettigrew killed there. So I think that probably also helped as well that it's like you did what your father would have wanted done is essentially what he tells Harry. And I think that helps too. I feel like all these people are Ned Stark and they're just going to die for their honor. <laughs> I could have a whole episode on this. <laughs> You've seen that show. You've read these books. That is what happens to a lot of them. <laughs> yes. I think it would be a very interesting analysis. Maybe it will do a bonus episode and compare Game of Thrones characters to Harry Potter. Yeah. If there's any interest in that, if two people tell us, we'll do it. <laughs> Other than you and me, because we're two people. Yeah. Twist our arm. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, we really don't want to, but if the, if the public needs it. <laughs> We're here for you guys. If this is something you want, I mean, I guess. Right. <laughs> if the 
the public is just itching for it. <laughs> uh, I told you guys, this is going to be a long chapter. I'm almost done, though. So much more to go. So much more. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll try to get through it. Harry confides in Dumbledore that he thought he saw his dad conjuring the Patronus. And of course he recognizes it was him. And Dumbledore is like, yeah, you look a lot like him. Which Harry hears, but it, for some reason, this one feels stronger. It feels more emotional. Something about Dumbledore saying it. You look like your father and you have your mother's eyes. He delivers another set of iconic lines. And these, I think, are exceptionally meaningful. I'm going to quote for real this time. You think the dead we have loved ever truly leave us. You think that we don't recall them more clearly than ever in times of great trouble. Your father is alive in you, Harry, and shows himself most plainly when you have need of him. How else could you produce that particular Patronus? Prongs rode again that night. So it's great. Damn, I got chills. <laughs> <laughs> and they're multiplying. Oh, that line. That line is so good. And we'll talk more about this concept in our cauldron section. But when I read it to prep for this, I got chills. When I just read it out loud, I got chills. All the chills. Love it. So the explanation with Dumbledore Park kind of ends. And we learned that the debacle with Sirius Black, what actually happened, didn't really leak, which is very off-brand at Hogwarts because usually secrets just don't work at a school like that. People knew that Sirius Black somehow escaped, but no one at Hogwarts knew how it happened. My least favorite Death Eater, Percy, had many thoughts on Sirius's escape, and he also had many comments on how he's going to fix the government, which I think is the most relatable content for Percy Weasley. I mean, I probably say in day-to-day -day life about 12 times how I'd like to fix our government. If Percy had a Twitter account, it would just be remarkable. Him just tweeting at everyone telling them how to do things better. That's what we need, a Percy Weasley social media account. Yikes. Well, yeah, it'd be awful, but also it'd be incredible. Very interesting. He probably has a lot of hot takes about leaky cauldron bottoms. Right, I'm sure. So the school year ends, Harry does all right in his exams, and they're getting to, you know, getting to the point where they can leave Hogwarts, they're getting ready. But a little tiny owl shows up with a letter from Sirius. He is safe. He's okay. He also tells Harry it was him who sent him the fireball for missing all those birthdays to which Hermione's like, I told you so, which, you know, okay, fair. He also apologizes for scaring Harry that night on Privet Drive. Obviously, the grim that Harry saw was really serious. Sirius. Sirius also sends a signed permission slip for Hogsmeade for Harry, which is very thoughtful. Very cute that he even remembered that. And he tells Ron that Ron can keep that little owl since Sirius says it's his fault he no longer has a rat, which let's be fair owl way more useful than the rat way better than rat right so ron kind of hilariously asks crookshanks if the owl is really an owl crookshanks purrs so ron is happy to keep the owl and the book ends with harry telling the dursleys about his godfather who is an escaped murderer who likes to check in and make sure harry is happy which is both incredibly funny because like obviously this is going to freak the Dursleys out but it forms also a nice bookend because our first references we got to Sirius in these books was hearing about him on the Muggle News and Vernon being like you're not telling us anything about him you're saying he's loose where is he what did he do what's going on so it kind of forms a nice bookend of you know Vernon and fears of Sirius at both the start and end full circle full circle 
full circle. Love the ending. Love everything about this book. So it is definitely time to stir the cauldron, sip on some tea, and talk about our big questions, our hot takes for chapters 20 through 22, the end of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So I'll go first and let's talk very big picture, very serious, and then perhaps we can move into more uh, lighter areas to discuss. I think that Harry thinking of other people is the root of his best Patronuses. One of the ones that really comes back to me, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead to book seven, but I believe when he's struggling to produce Patronuses in, in the war, in the battle, he thinks of Ron and Hermione. I think this is where Harry draws his strength. We tease Harry, pretty much everybody who does in-depth analysis of Harry Potter eventually teases Harry for kind of being thick and not asking good questions. You know, being very Ned Stark-like, right? We just talked about that. Alyssa really wants to do this comparison podcast, if you couldn't tell. Right, right, I do. I don't think Harry is Ned Stark. I think Harry is Jon Snow. Let's talk about it. Ah, I don't need a special podcast for that. All right, let's focus on the issue at hand. I think this ability of Harry's and where he draws his strength, we see that with the Resurrection Stone in Book 7. Harry, at his best, is when he's loving other people, when he's protecting them. It's also his downfall, right? In book five, he's in a total trap, right? Because he loves Sirius. But I think that this, and maybe this is a hot take because you don't hear it that often nowadays. I think that this makes Harry exceptional. That's interesting. I think you're right, though. I'm going to use this as an also an opportunity to bring up the hot take that I came up with regarding Patronuses half an hour ago. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm ready. So I think this is wrong, but I'm not convinced. I have to think about it more, but... Do you need maybe in this wizarding world to understand and appreciate horrors to fully appreciate the highs and the love and the good things necessary to produce such a complex and emotional charm? Because Harry, who's experienced such horrors in his life, is for the most part pretty good at producing Patronuses compared to other characters. Luna, I think they say, gets it pretty quickly. Whereas Hermione, who while she's bullied, she has hardships doesn't have quite those same low points and has more trouble. Do you need kind of that full emotional experiences to fully appreciate the high points necessary? I think that's a really interesting take. I think there are probably two answers to this, which is like the technical, do you need it to produce a good Patronus? I, I have no clue. <laughs> right. But I think in general, you know, I think you're right that these, this, the roller coaster of life probably has an impact on how we harness our happiness and harness our good feelings. On the flip side, it's really just incredible with the horrors that Harry has, that he really has nothing good until his, what, 11th year of life and even then the best he came up with was like getting on a broomstick right that's like saying that the first time you drove our mom's car was the happiest moment in your life and that's really sad oh that's you you were there for that that was terrifying i don't remember but i believe you it was in the parking lot we went like one mile an hour my hands were so <laughs> white because i was like so afraid <laughs> oh yeah i believe it I remember the first time I drove and I was petrified. But my point is, is that I think it cuts both ways. It's hard for someone like Harry, who has 
really extreme trauma, really extreme damage from the sheer amount of loss in his life. To be able to harness enough happiness to be able to produce the Patronus, at the same time, not discounting people like Ron, he was able to produce it in Dumbledore's army. I don't know how much hardship he has. You know, his family has poor, he has jealousy issues with his brothers, but you don't really hear that kind of trauma and loss that Harry is associated with. So I think it's a, it's a good point. I think that's an interesting area to look into. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it came to me, figured bring it up. Listeners, let us know what you think. Am I crazy? Yes or definitely. You're free to pick either answer. Yes. Yes or yes and rest. <laughs> right, exactly. Or, <laughs> or yes and caps. Right. Another one that I'd like to, another hot take, although let's see, hot, I don't know. Harry and Hermione probably could have solved like 99% of all book issues without Ron. I mean, they did totally fine without him in this scenario. Like there wasn't even really a thought that was like, oh, we need Ron for this. Interesting that the author chose to leave Ron out of this one. Maybe it was just too many words. For what's worth, I agree with you. I thought that they actually probably worked better as a duo rather than a trio. Now, some of that could just be when there's three people, there's more voices, more disagreements, it's harder to get on one page and to kind of follow the same script. I did bring this up to my girlfriend right before we got on air, and she said that she completely disagrees and that, you know, without the things that Ron did in the first part of the timeline, they wouldn't have figured out the truth quite easy, like things wouldn't have worked as well. I don't necessarily agree. I respect the opinion. So maybe it is a hot take because three people have heard this theory and one person already disagrees but i'm with you interesting okay well i guess that it is a hot take i'll take it <laughs> hey Alyssa, it looks like the owls are arriving with today's daily profit so let's take a moment and talk about today's sponsor audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks Ken and I at The Time Turner highly recommend Audible because they're the leading provider of not just audiobooks, but podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, and their own Audible original content. They have everything we ever want to look for. My favorite romance series, Crossfire, to the inspirational Becoming by Michelle Obama. I find that Audible is really helpful in my academic work for my day job. You know, I don't just record Harry Potter podcasts all day. I can download titles and listen offline, even if I'm running to blow off some steam or I'm in the car. The app is free and easy to use. As a member of Audible, every month you get one credit to pick any title you want. Hello, more leisure reading and podcasts. And you also get two Audible originals from a monthly selection. You also get access to daily news digests, as well as guided meditation programs. But even better, with our code, you can get a free trial. Sign up today, audibletrial.com slash timeturner, and start listening right now. So moving to a little bit more silly, let's say, can we talk for a second about how ridiculous Snape is? Like here he is complaining to Fudge. Mayor Fudge. Mayor Fudge, complaining to the town's mayor about Harry being a bad student. 
Like, dude, grow up, get it together. Like, what, what do you want him to do about it? Do you want him to overrule Dumbledore and kick Harry out? Like, no, you don't. So just keep it to yourself. Imagine if you worked for a really big company and you have a bunch of people that work for you. Like, let's say you have 100 people that work for you. You finally get some one-on-one -on -one time with the CEO of the company, some big high-powered person. And you're like, okay, what am I going to present? You're getting all your data together. You're getting all your, your bragging points. And you show up and you're like, Ken from accounting sucks. <laughs> and you're like, he's so annoying and he smells and he brings tuna every day. And you're like, why are you using your opportunity with the CEO to talk about Ken? When I was reading this, I was like, what an idiot. <laughs> what a waste. Not to mention, like, jumping over, you know, at least in Snape's example, at least two lines of, you know, supervisors and direct commanders between Dumbledore and the school governors. There are people you go to. <laughs> Fudge is not the next person you go to on this issue. Until, like, the fifth book, Hogwarts ran independently of the ministry. So you wouldn't even get to Mayor Fudge in this scenario. You would get to the Board of Governors. Even to go to the Board of Governors as a teacher to be like this one kid is really annoying. It's just deranged. And so you can see why Mayor Fudge, and I'll give him points here, even though I don't generally like him, for saying like, hey, Dumbledore, I think your teacher has some problems. Because this is unusual, even for someone as like hyper involved as Fudge. So I'm currently a graduate student and teach classes at a public university. Is this the equivalent of like, if I met with the governor and was like, hey, so I have a student in my class who's kind of mean to me? I I have a student who skipped a class last Tuesday. You should probably <laughs> right. do something about right. that. Right. Come on, governor. Do something about this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how I think about it. It's really just a bad look. Fudge was going to give him an order of Merlin. First class. Well, maybe first, second? I think second. Second class, you're right. Either way. Fancy prize. He was going to get the Nobel Peace Prize of Wizard. <laughs> right. He could have made a play for that, to keep that. And instead, he loses all control, which is just a lesson learned for all people, which is like, know your audience, read the room, and focus on your goals. For a Slytherin, this is very out of character because Slytherins are cunning and they're ambitious. They would know better than to throw away their Order of Merlin chances with both hands. As our dad always told me growing up, think twice, talk half. If Snape had tried that, he would have, you know, come across a little better here. How ironic that you have a podcast. <laughs> right. Where I'm doing nothing but talking without thinking. There's a lot of thinking. Yeah, we think a lot before we get on the air. It might not sound like. And then it all goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, it always goes to hell in a handbasket very quickly. <laughs> we always end up on some tangent we don't mean to. And it's like, ooh, did that sound good? Oh, well. We can prove that we have notes <laughs> for every episode. Badly spelled notes, but that's not the point. Yeah. So a couple little things to point out. I think it's really, really kind, really nice that when Sirius was getting picked up by Buckbeak and Harry and Hermione, and he's kind of like, uh, what are you doing here? Sirius takes very precious time. I mean, this was like 10 seconds. He took very precious time to ask how the other kid was, how Ron was. And I think it says a lot about Sirius that he remembered that Ron was injured, Harry's friend was injured, and he asks. I mean, I don't think I'm a good enough person to ask if I'm trying to make my escape from the Dementor's kiss. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, maybe what separates us from Sirius. Uh, no, it's very kind, it's very sweet, and it goes to show how much he cares. And, you know, I guess you could question, is he doing this because he cares about Ron or because he wants to make sure that Harry continues to see him in a good light? I think it could go both ways. 
But it's a very nice thing to do and something most people wouldn't have thought of, you know, say wishing Ron well, giving him an owl, like great move by Sirius to solidify support. Sirius, what he's showing here is that he understands best friends, which makes sense because he was James' best friend. I just think he's a really good person. He's reckless. We talk about that. In a lot of respects, he brought his own downfall to himself. However, this is really nice. And I, I'll give one more thought and then turn it over to Ken to, to finish up with our with our last thoughts. The moment when you're reading, Harry is waiting for his dad to show up to cast the Patronus and it, he's not coming and he's like, what, wait, wait, I don't understand this. And he has that moment of realization, he has to do it. And he does it and he sees that it's prongs, that it's the stag. And even after all these years, I still get a little tiny tear at that when he realizes his Patronus is his dad. Always? Always. I have the chills even when I'm talking about it now. I think these chapters are really the first time that I get emotional at these books, where I feel so connected to Harry that I feel emotional. So that's important to me to point out. No, I agree. I mean, it's an incredible way to connect so many of the issues going on and to really bring you in like you can't help but feel for Harry here the highs the lows everything that goes with this moment it's a great way to bring a lot of emotion to a 13 year old at the time story really wonderfully done so I think we have two more things we want to talk about so first one we don't always give a lot of time for good reason but I want to take a minute or two and talk about the movie see if you have any thoughts on the prisoner rescue Man movie did you like it did you dislike it you know compared to the book I have a couple of thoughts but I want to hear yours first I'm extremely neutral I mean I've said it in previous episodes and I'll say it again I don't think any of the movies were very good but I will watch them every time they're on so what does that say about me I don't know I like when Prisoner of Azkaban's on. Like, that's not one of them where I'm kind of like, ugh, I'll turn it off. There are some changes in how it's presented. I mean, any book to movie adaption, right? You lose stuff. Let's put it this way. It's not at the top of my shit list. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that there are a couple changes or, or admissions that I'm not the biggest fan of. Admissions or omissions? Omissions. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Omissions. Oh, okay. I just didn't know which one. <laughs> it's a small one. I don't love that Lupin got the save an instant man from a terrible fate line. I like that that's Dumbledore in the books. I wish that the movies found a way to talk more about the Marauders and their backstory because you really don't get that as much in the movies. And I think it's important character development and universe building. And as you know, universe building is one of the most important things for me in a book series. That being said, I think it's also the last movie that didn't make serious mistakes, in my opinion. I think every movie after this does things I'm like, that was just wrong. That really screwed up. You completely missed the point. So this kind of has a soft spot, sweet spot with me because it's the last one where I understand for the most part the changes and I don't feel like they made any dire mistakes. Fair enough. I mean, so I guess my statement that it's not at the top of the shit list is similar to yours. Yes, agreed. So to finish up, we have just two quick little foreshadowing. One of the things we love to talk about for the next book 
actually. There's a nice little reference that to protect the school, they might put dragons at the school entrance. Well, what do you know that in the next book, we're going to get some dragons in the school grounds. Four of them, actually. Which are four too many dragons. Yeah, who needs four dragons? Four children, yes. <laughs> you could have had like one dragon and just had them all go against the same dragon. Like this was unnecessary, but it's not very fair. Like the dragons are whatever save that <laughs> we're gonna have nothing to talk about right exactly <laughs> like that's our problem ron also mentions to harry about the quidditch world cup which will take place at the beginning of goblet of fire and be a major driving force for a lot of the plot of the book actually and will be very important to the end game of the book and the future and the way that the series develops from there agreed yeah quidditch world cup has a lot of plot points it has a lot of symbolism and dark themes it's sort of where the book changes which is one thing i love about goblet so i'm looking forward to getting to that very much looking forward to that perfect way to wrap up we are done with book three with harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban so per usual subscribe download review tell us all the good things or that but probably the good and next time you hear from us we'll be starting harry potter goblet of fire so buckle up because we are in it for the long books thank you all for listening and if you keep a cool head you can all reward yourselves with an order of merlin second class i want the first first class you gotta do more then you can get it we'll work on it for next book right exactly